Would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together for my wife, Darla Powell? Thank you. What an introduction. Wow. Thanks, babe. Use your muscles there. Nailed it. Perfect. Well, good morning, Victory family. I cannot even tell you how excited that I am to get to fill these shoes. Um, I really count it a privilege to be up here and, like I said, filling some very, very big shoes. I tell him this every year around this time because this is the time that I get to speak. Um, I, I tell him every year, like, babe, this is hard. <laughs> but he makes it look so easy. So you guys don't realize, if you've never done this, and I don't, I don't know how many pastors, other pastors we have in the building, but to, to, to come up with a message week after week after week after week after week is no small feat. So I want you to know that what I'm doing here is very difficult, but what your pastor does consistently is so amazing. But he makes it look so easy because he's so anointed. Will you help me for just five seconds and give honor to our pastor? I'll never grow tired of the wow. <laughs> it really is, babe. I'm, I'm honored to be up here. And thank you for giving me the privilege to speak. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. I know that while we are just in a celebration mode, that this day can come with a little bit of hurt. And so I would just want to address that. For any of you who have lost children, for those of you who have lost mothers, those with strained mother relationships or maybe strained child relationships, those who have chosen not to be mothers and those yearning to be mothers, I want you to know that I see you and we stand with you. If, 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 even if this is your first time here, you already have a family who is welcoming you with open arms and loving you right where you are. Amen, Victory? Will y'all pray with me? God, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to speak your word. I do not take it lightly, and I count it a privilege in, in the greatest form that I get to be the messenger of your word today, Lord. So I just pray that I will stand behind the cross and be filled with your Holy Spirit and that the words that come out of my mouth will be anointed by you and they will touch the people that are here and who are listening anywhere right now. God, we love you. We praise you. I pray that you will get all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So today we're gonna answer, using God's word, Three important life questions that humanity has been striving to answer for centuries. Are you ready? Number one, who am I? Number two, where am I? And number three, where am I going? I love the Dr. Dr. Seuss quote that says, today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Shout aloud, I am glad to be what I am. Thank goodness I'm not a ham or a clam or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am. What a great thing to be. If I say so myself, happy every day to me. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could start our morning like that, like every morning? Like that needs to be printed off, put on our mirror, and we need to say that as an affirmation every single morning. 
I wish it was that easy. I wish we lived in a Dr. Seuss book to find our confidence. But we're a fallen people, and we live in a fallen world. So sometimes it's difficult to establish our confidence and our identity, especially as women. So who am I? Look at your neighbor and ask them, who am I? They don't know. You don't know. We're going to figure it out together. So when you're meeting someone new and you make introductions, right? Hi, I'm Darla. Hi, I'm Joe. What's usually the follow-up question after you introduce yourself? What do you do? Yes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it does support the idea that we are what we do. So who am I? Well, it depends on who you ask. Probably to most people, I'm friend. To two people, I'm daughter. To one person, I'm sister. To two little girls, I'm mama. And to one hottie in the front row, I'm wife. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> so it depends on who you ask. If I, if I ask the lady that I accidentally pulled out in front of last week, she might have a different answer. If I ask an ex-boyfriend, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't know who put that in my nose. I'm so, somebody tampered with my nose. I, there's been nobody ever before you, ever. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to this side of the room for a minute. I do have one story about an ex-boyfriend that it makes you look good, honey. Trust me. Okay. So before I met the love of my life, Pastor Troy Powell, I was in a relationship with someone who I thought was the one. Anybody else? Like you just know, oh, they're the one. I just know we're going to get married. No, didn't happen. But I really thought in that moment, this guy is the one. He ticked all the boxes, loved the Lord, was going to be in ministry. We had a pure relationship. I was like, this has to be it. So we dated long distance. So we didn't spend a lot of time with each other around each other's families. But a few times I visited him and he visited me in Memphis. So on one such occasion, when he was visiting me in Memphis, I was obviously around my family a lot. So he got to see that. Um, if you know anything about my family, we're just a bunch of nuts. We're goofy. We like to laugh. We like to have fun, especially me and my dad. When we get together, it's just a good time. And so we're in this, it's nighttime. I think we're having dinner and uh, my ex-boyfriend at the time, my boyfriend at the time is in the kitchen doing something. My dad and I are in the living room and we are just goofing off together. I think that we were reenacting Stuart from Mad TV. Do you remember Stuart? Let me do it. No, look what I can do. Okay, awkward. If you've never seen it, YouTube it. It's worth it. So here I am with my dad, having the time of our life, like in a full-on Stuart impression. I was on the floor probably. I was like, help, let me do it, stop, let me do it. And in walks my, my boyfriend at the time, and he has this dumbfounded look on his face like, what is happening? And I'm like trying to guess why he's looking that way. And then I realize he's never seen me in that way because he's never been around me and my family. Um, needless to say, it didn't work out. <laughs> it wasn't him, it was me. <laughs> but I just was not being my authentic self, and which is not good, because I always said I wanted to marry somebody like my dad, so that was doomed from the start. And I'm happy to say that I did find somebody who reminds me of my dad, who I can be my authentic self with. So you see, it depends on who you ask, who am I? What ends up happening a lot of times is we allow who we are to others and what we do define who we are. 
And while it's true, I am friend, mom, wife, daughter, sister, leader, etc. What about when all that's stripped away? Who am I at my core? Just Darla. For some of us, we are so wrapped up in what we do that it truly defines who we are. So we don't even go there because we're afraid we'll uncover something that we'd let, rather leave covered up. Things from our past, shame, hurt, confusion. So it's easier to just slip into the identity of what we do and who we are to other people. But like our pastor told us last week, if we're not willing to get comfortable being uncomfortable, we'll miss out on God's best. Today, we're going to ask that question to the one who's only, who is the only opinion that matters, who am I? And to help us do that, we're going to look at someone's story in the Bible who went through an identity crisis of his own. We're introduced to Moses in the book of Exodus when he's just a baby. At that time, there was a harsh rule in the land by Pharaoh put into place that every baby boy that was born had to be thrown into the river. That's a little drastic. When Moses, gave, when Moses' mom gave birth to him, as you can imagine, she panicked. And she was actually able to hide him for three months. But of course, at three months, babies start getting a little louder and louder. So she couldn't hide him anymore. So she decided to take a chance and do something drastic. She made a waterproof basket, put him in it, set him down in the Nile River, and sit him down. It says in verse 2 that Moses' mom, was, that when Moses was born, that his mother knew that he was special. And she was right. God had big plans for Moses, but first, he had to figure out who he was. You see, Moses was of Hebrew blood, but he was raised as an Egyptian. When mama sent him down the river, the Egyptian princess found him and raised him in the palace. So, as you can imagine, he was used to having everything done for him. He was a prince. He was the famous prince of an Egyptian princess. But years later, Moses would leave that life behind. And now as a shepherd, he had to do everything for himself. He was holding the very job he had been taught to despise. So it's easy to understand why he describes himself as a foreigner in a foreign land. So we're catching up to Moses when God decides it was time to act and calls up Moses to help free the Israelites from slavery. This is such a cool part, so I'm going to read it. We're going to go in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1. Verse 1 through 11. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses thought to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming, to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, 
The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So right here in Exodus, Moses is asking our question, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? So when Moses asks, who am I? He was really needing some validation. He had a past he wasn't proud of. He had insecurities. He didn't feel like he was qualified. So God comforts Moses, gives him a little pep talk, and he says, I'll be with you. But that wasn't enough for Moses. And because of that, he protests again. Verse 13, it says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? The reason Moses needed to establish this is because the Israelites had many gods at this time. So if he came to them and said, the God of your ancestors, they're going to be like, which one? So he wanted to know with confidence who he was representing. At this point in time, the time for pep talks is over. So God gives Moses the goddess answer ever and tells him, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I love this. And this is where we can be set free if we'll catch it. Notice that God doesn't respond to Moses' objections by focusing on who he is or his insecurities. He doesn't tell him what a good man he is and tell him that he just needs to believe in himself. God simply tells him who God is. He said, tell them I am who I am. This took the pressure off of Moses, and it takes the pressure off of us. If we can live by one life motto, it should be, it's not about me. So when those feelings of inadequacy and shame creep in, you get to control the narrative. Because here's the best part. If God lives in you and God is I am, then I am is in you. Amen? So the next time you start to think, I'm not enough, but I am. I'm not worthy. I am righteousness. I'm unlovable. I am love. Do you see the power in the great I am? It's so much easier to be confident in God in me than in just me. This allows us to lay down our insecurities and our pride and tap in to the God confidence that he wants us all to walk in. Moses didn't need the best speaking voice or a grand title to be used powerfully by God. He just needed to know the I am. So when your identity is rooted in anything other than God, you will come up short every time. But when we tap into the I am in us, that's where life gets fun. So once we know where we are, then we get to figure out where we are. Where are you right now? Do you know? Does anybody in here think they know where true north is? I'm going to test you. Don't look on your phone. Don't cheat. I want everybody on the count of three to point wherever you think true north is, and don't look to somebody who you think knows the answer. <laughs> Point to true. I'm not being spiritual, you guys. Everybody's pointing up like, it's Jesus. <laughs> On the count of three, point where you think true north is. One, two, three. Where do you think true north is? Okay, I'm going to see 
Who's right? Who's wrong? Oh, boy. We're all lost. Okay, if you pointed this way, you're wrong. If you pointed this way, wrong. If you pointed that way, wrong. If you pointed that way, you're right. Who got it right? Who knows exactly where they are? Of course you do. Of course you do. I'm I'm traveling with (laughs) y'all whenever we get lost. Okay. (laughs) Every single person is somewhere, okay? But how many people really know where they are in their lives? Figuring that out is where it gets real. And it's the next step we have to take in figuring out where we're going. The ironic thing is, most of us know already the deeper answer of where we are, but we're afraid to say it out loud. The question, where are you, is actually one of the first interactions we we see between God and the people like us that he made. Adam and Eve had it made in the shade. They had a beautiful life in the Garden of Eden, walking and talking with God freely, and only one rule, don't eat the fruit from one tree. That's it. But as we know, one day they blew it. So let's catch up with them in Genesis 3 when God asks them this question, where are you? We're going to start in Genesis 3, verses 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, I love this. It was the woman you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Ah, the blame game. I know it well. My children know it even better. So... Sometimes we blame other people or even circumstances out of our control for where we are in our life. We do positive affirmations with the girls on the way to school in the morning, and one of their affirmations is, I take responsibility for my actions because they love to pawn it off on their sister. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this same trap, just like Adam and Eve. But God didn't ask, where's your spouse? Where's your sibling? Where's your friend? Where's your mom? Where's your boss? He asked, where are you? And when we take responsibility for where we are, that's where the starting line is. Adam and Eve forgot who they were and hid. When God asked, where are you? He wasn't looking for an actual location. God knows everything, even when we don't understand or won't acknowledge it. He wasn't talking about longitude and latitude. He was addressing their state of mind. He wanted to know whether they knew where they were. And it takes courage to get honest about where you are. I'm in my addiction. I'm coasting in my marriage. I'm selling myself short and taking the easy route. I'm afraid I'll be discovered. Adam and Eve were tucked in a bush, yes, but they were really in a place called shame. Your past will lie to you distract you, try to get your attention, and then laugh at you for looking. Shame has one goal and one goal alone, to keep you cemented in a dark past while it hides a beautiful future from you. 
early on in my faith walk and my relationship with God, it was shadowed by a lot of shame. I remember trying so hard to get free from sin and be better. So because I never felt truly worthy of approaching God, I would go long periods of time without praying. And eventually I would come to the point where I just knew it was the right thing to do and I needed to pray, but I still didn't feel worthy. So a lot of times my prayers would sound like, thank you for putting up with me. I know I get it wrong more times than I get it right. I'm sure you're disappointed. So thanks for sticking around, God. Does that resonate with anybody? Thanks for putting up with me. And that's where I was. I was in my shame. And I was letting it cloud my relationship with the Lord. But I'll never forget, one day, very clearly, I was approaching God again after a long absence. And I prayed that prayer that I had prayed so many times before. God, thanks for putting up with me. And I almost felt like he was coming down in front of me and gently grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, stop praying that. I don't want you to say that anymore. That's not how I feel about you. And at first I didn't understand because I was like, of course it is. I'm not doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. So how could you not be disappointed in me? And the next thing that the Spirit of God said to me has changed our relationship from that moment on. And he whispered to me, he said, that's not my nature. I had been putting natural human emotions on a supernatural God. That was not representative of how he really felt about me. And that set me free. He gently reminded me that he had never expected perfection or anything even close to that from me. He said, I wouldn't have made the incredible sacrifice of my son if I thought it was possible for you to earn my grace and forgiveness. I'm not after your performance. I'm after your heart. 2 Corinthians 5 explains this beautifully. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. I wouldn't be here sharing this story with you if I hadn't been honest with where I was. I was in my shame. Where are you? Wherever you are, it doesn't mean that that's where you stay. I'm not in shame anymore. It doesn't matter who you were. God cares about who you're becoming. But just like a map won't do you any good if you don't know your current location, you won't get to your destination if you don't get honest with where you are. And here's the best part. Your honesty isn't letting God down. You're letting God in. And y'all, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing that happens when we invite God into our mess. He helps us clean it up. You guys know that Charlie Brown character, the one that's always covered in dirt and dust, and he's like got a dirt cloud always following behind him? His name, I didn't know this until I looked it up. It's Pigpen. 
what? I thought it was Linus. Linus is the blanket dude. Pigpin is his name in the comic. Wow, I'm so sorry for that kid. So um, Casey Ray sort of reminds me <laughs> of Pigpin. For those of you that don't know, Casey Ray is our six-year-old little girl, and she is one with the earth. She just wants to be outside all the time, and if you walk in any room, you can tell Casey Ray's been here because there's a trail of things that she's gotten out and left out and left behind. It's amazing. Her room is on a whole nother level, okay? Talk about a pig pen. Most recently, when we were walking upstairs to put her in her room, there was no floor to be seen. It's all covered, and actually not just covered, but piles on top of that. Can anybody relate? Any parents out there who just like the messy rooms? Okay, we're not alone. Thank you. It was getting bad, you guys. So what do we do? We say, Casey Ray, you've got to clean up your room. Like, over and over and over again. It didn't happen. So finally, we said it one last time. Casey Ray, honey, you have got to clean your room. And she said, finally, it's too much. I don't know where to start. And I just wonder how many of us can relate to that, being in that place, in our mess, and God saying, it's time to clean it up. And we're so overwhelmed. It's too much. I don't even know where to start, God. But God is a loving, excellent, perfect parent. And so he does what any good parent would do. He doesn't storm in the room with a trash bag and say, I can't believe this mess. How many times have I have to tell you to get rid of this and get rid of that? I'm coming in here and I'm cleaning house. I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe you let it get this bad. That's not him. What he does is, after we've invited him in, he walks in the room, assesses the damage, sees you in the middle of it, and walks over and sits down with you in your mess. He's not here to judge you in, in, in that way. He is a good judge, but he's not here to make you feel bad about the mess that you're in. He's here to help you clean it up. And so much like what we did with Casey Ray, we got down on the floor with her. We said, hmm, let's look around. Are there some things in here that you don't play with anymore? And God is saying, are, are there some things in your life that aren't serving you anymore? What should we do with that? Let's look. Should we toss this? Yeah, probably. Let's walk that out. What about these things? These are nice. These are special. Maybe we should prioritize these things and put them on a higher shelf. Let's just get organized. And he walks us through that process because he's a good father. And that's what a good father does. Where are you? If you're in a mess, that's okay. We all are. Just make sure and invite him in. Watch what happens. Number three, where are you going? If you don't know where you're going in life, that's okay too. It's not complicated to figure out. God just needs you to be awake and available. I sleptwalked as a child. Anybody else sleptwalk as a child or still sleepwalks today, maybe? I want to hear your sleepwalking stories. I'm fascinated by that. So I used my, my spot, my, my go-to spot um, growing up when I would sleepwalk would be in my parents' closet on their shoes. 
That's where they would find me the next morning, <laughs> laying on their pile of shoes. I don't know if I was dreaming about being a puppy or something like that, and that was just where I went. But one time in particular, I remember sleepwalking and taking a shower. And you guys, that's nuts. I, re- I remember it vaguely, like kind of like half awake, half asleep. And I remember the moment when I woke up, because when I was little, I used to put a towel on my pillow whenever my hair was wet so that my pillow wouldn't get soaked. And I remember laying down, putting my hair on the pillow, and then I woke up. I was like, why is my hair wet? I don't remember taking a shower. And I realized I had sleptwalked and took a shower. So it's one thing to sleepwalk in the middle of the night, right? It's another thing entirely to to sleepwalk in the middle of the day. People do it all the time, though. Maybe you do too. Who knows? Maybe you're sleepwalking right now. Nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. <laughs> Y'all are asleep. <laughs> if we're honest, sleepwalking describes many of our lives. You look like you're awake, but you're not. You're going through the motions. We get up, we walk, we talk, we do our jobs, and we go to bed, never having been fully awake. You know this has happened to you if you can look back at your day You can't remember the conversations you had, the things you experienced, or the beauty you saw. There's a famous painting called The Sleeping Cardinal. I have a picture of it for you. The image depicts an artist painting a portrait of a cardinal of a church. What's interesting about this picture is the puzzled look on the artist's face. You can see that he's scratching his head with his palette in his hand as he looks at the sleeping cardinal slumped down in his chair with his chin resting on his robe. I think God sometimes sees us like this and wonders the same thing the artist was wondering. I'm creating a masterpiece here. When is this person going to wake up? If you feel like that's you and you're sleepwalking through life, you're not alone. But it's time to set the alarm and wake up. What would your life look like if you were fully awake to the wonders God is constantly showing you? This takes intention and practice. Lots and lots of practice. Take notes, smell flowers, sing songs, read books, roll in the grass, write the letter, take the class, put the phone down, and then pick it up again and call somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Don't overcomplicate it. In short, do things that spark joy in you and then do it again. Once you're awake, we want to be available In verse 4 of Exodus 3, it says, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. He made himself available. And because Moses made himself available, God called him to action with two words. Now go. And he got to be the vessel that God used to free an entire nation from years of slavery. Four years ago, when we decided to move and plant a church, people would ask us, where are you going? And we would say, we don't know, because we didn't know where God was calling us yet. But while we didn't have a specific place in mind yet, we knew that wherever we were going is where God wanted us to be. But we wouldn't be here if we weren't available. God wants you to come alive to who he's made you to be. So where are you going? Well, where does God want you to go? 
Let's see what matters most to him. In Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So where are you going? Wherever you can love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And wherever you can love your neighbor. That's our true north. That's our destination. Simply put, we can stop waiting for a plan and just go love everybody. You don't need a seminary degree or 100 Bible verses memorized to carry out the greatest commandments. You just have to be available. When God asks, where are you? Will you be hiding in a bush? Will you be sleeping? Or will you be able to answer like Moses did and say, here I am. I'm awake and I'm available. Okay, mamas, I need you to specifically to hear something today. Because if you're like me and you hear a mess, I hear a message like this, I get fired up and I'm ready to go. And then shortly after that, I'm pulled back into the reality that I have two little ankle biters taking up most of my time, most of my energy, most of my brain power. So how in the world do I go and make a difference in the world? Live a life fully awake when I'm literally going on four hours of sleep. When I first had Veda, I was overwhelmed. That's an understatement. And I remember we were in ministry at the time, right? So I'm used to going full on. Meetings every day. Being able to study the word as much as I wanted. And when I had her, all of that took a screeching halt. And I lost my way. I felt like I lost my purpose. I didn't know what I was doing anymore. And I kept, I remember asking the Lord, like, what am I doing for the kingdom, Lord? This is not what, I'm not making a difference. I'm not able to meet with people. I'm not able to talk to women, talk to teenagers and inspire people. But God reminded me and is still reminding me that mothering is kingdom work. Motherhood isn't holding me back from my mission. They are my mission. They are my first set of disciples. So mamas, you need to hear that. We talked about how Moses, how God used Moses in this incredible story of leading the people of Israel out of slavery. But we can't forget it was his mama who saw something special in him as a baby and protected him for as long as she could. And then she put him in the river and trusted God with his life. And as we raise our children, we need to raise them as if they're the next Moses or the next Esther or the next Mary or the next Paul because they are. And when we make ourselves available, we show our children how to be available. We get to leave a legacy through them for the kingdom. So where are you? Who are you? Where are you going? In short, I am. Where are, who are you? If the I am is in me, I am who he is. Where are you? Here I am. I'm awake and available. Where are you going? Wherever I am is going. That's where I'm going. I am because he is. 
Amen. Father, we love you so much. And I'm so thankful that we get to do this thing called life together. And God, I'm thankful that we don't have to have all the right titles and all the right things in order to be used by you. God, I thank you for showing us that it's really just as simple as loving everybody all the time. So no matter what we do, no matter where we are in our life, no matter what our title is, our station, God, you have called us to step into hand. And Lord, I just pray over everyone who is hearing my voice right now, Lord, that if there's any insecurity, any doubt, any shame that they're carrying with them, Father, I pray that you will remind them that you are the kind of God who sits in our mess with us and doesn't shame us for it, but helps us clean it up so that we can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. I pray for all my mamas who maybe feel like they're drowning right now. God, we know that you have a special place in your heart for mothers. And God, we need a special anointing from you. And so I pray that over all my mamas in this room and hearing my voice right now, God, that you will strengthen her with supernatural strength, that you will give her supernatural rest and peace, that she will know that what she is doing is not going unnoticed, but that it is kingdom work and that she is building a legacy. Thank you, Father, for being everything that we need you to be. Thank you for calling us out of our mess to walk with you through our life. God, we just pray that we will be awake and available so that you could use us day after day. And when we mess up, you're gonna be right there with us to help us clean up and keep going. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be yours and to be I am. The only reason I am is because you are. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.